Okay, if you'll open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 11 through 18. And while you're turning your Bibles, I will make a few announcements that were uh, given to me and also um, some other things I'd like to comment on. First of all, uh, moving of the chairs after service. So uh, you guys, and if you want girls, uh, girls too, can hang around and help, but We'll need to rearrange that for the painters. Now then, not only that, but Wednesday night, we've got Wednesday night supper. And so don't forget that. And then I want to say it's good to see Don and Marlene. Marlene is back with us and Don and Marlene had, uh, had that fall. And so it's great to see them here. And... Uh, Susie, it's good to see you. She had a fall too. And yeah, yeah you, you fell, right? Fall? Yeah, yeah. She said she'd be making up for the kisses she can't get today uh, later on, right? <laughs> and then Marty, it's good to have you. I know you had a rough night last night, but it's good to have you back and all of you. Now, as we turn in our Bibles, any other announcements before we get started? Chapter 9, we're navigating life's winding road. And so chapter 9, verses 11 through 18, we read. I'm going to jump back to verse 10. It says, whatever your hands find to do, verily, do it with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or wisdom in shale where you are going. In other words, after you die, that's it. So do all the planning you, and uh, the things that you need to do today. I again saw under sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors, neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability for time and chance overtake them all. Now we need to understand what chance is and we'll uh, mention that later on. Moreover, man does not know his time like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Also this I came to see is wisdom under sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with a few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by wisdom, by wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor, poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heed in quietness are Better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you once again for your word in this time together with these people. And I pray that you will touch our hearts in such a way that we will be enlightened with your truth. So that it will help us in, in understanding not only ourselves and seeing ourselves better, but also as we see ourselves as you want us to see, uh, see us, then we can also 
look unto you and see what you would have us to do and how you would have us to do it. And that takes wisdom. And so, Lord, uh, true wisdom from above is the wisdom that we need. And, and I just pray that we'll pray for it. You tell us to pray for this wisdom and that you'll give it to us. And so I pray that we will and that we'll seek your guidance. And, and Lord, as we trust in you with all of our heart and all of our soul and lean not unto our own understanding, but acknowledging you in all our ways, then you will make those uh, our pathway straight and you will open up the doors and you will show us the way. So thank you, God, for this promise. Thank you for uh, you having the, uh, the wisdom for us to, to live out this kind of life. And I pray that we will make the most of it in Jesus' name. Amen. How does life look to you? I mean, one author has summed it up this way. Hurry, worry, bury. Another one put it this way. Life is what's, what happens to you while you are making other plans. Oh my goodness, how true that is, isn't it? How would you sum up your life? What is happening to you while you are busily and busily, busily engaged? You'll get it in a minute. Making other plans. How many times have you had your plans interrupted? What have you learned from life and its experiences? Many people would agree that age increases faster than wisdom. But at the same time, we learn what we need to know, uh, or by the time we learn uh, what we need to know, it's already too late to use it for a lot of us. And so when we approach the various circumstances of life, we all respond in different ways. Now, how are we responding? We see our, our own activities from one of four ways, as one author put it. One way is optimism. You'll see a lot of people that's very optimistic, positive thinkers. We're primarily, and nothing wrong with optimism in the right way, in a balanced way, but some are overly optimistic. And they live in a fantasy world. And with them, often the dark side is denied. You'll see this with preachers. Some preachers and positive thinkers, positive preachers all the time, that's all they say. And they deny the other side of it. Their life is lived on dreams and distant hopes. The problem with this type of living is that there is a lack of reality. So that's the extreme optimistic people but then there are the pessimists and we're looking at extremes remember and these are just the opposite of optimism they see life as a grim existence everything is dark and gloomy everything is without humor has no color this life is characterized by a lack of of joy joy isn't just some emotion or feeling but it's an attitude that we should develop and they do not have this joy and so there's a third view and that is suspicion now this is a, a close kin to pessimism or pessimism suspicion has its own uh, or has at its core a complete lack of trust. It sees uh, 
only cheaters all the time, liars, crooks, and perverts of life. Everything is always that way. These are extremes. It assumes that everyone falls into one of those categories. And then there's the last class, and that is fatalism. Life is a fixed game to them. Life is completely out of control and out of the control of man who can only endure to the end where death is certain. And it is certain for all. This view is a life of resignation and hopelessness or hopelessness. Solomon gives us different observations though and counsel on life. He wants us to look at it in a balanced way. His counsel, yes, it is depressing at times, but yes, he does give hope also. And his counsel won't allow us to live a life which subscribes to just any of these that were mentioned. This book instead brings us to terms with reality, what life is really about. And the preacher makes us face life and deal with it And then enjoy it to the best of our ability. And this is what he's talking about. Death is certain, so we need to enjoy each. When we make our plans, make our plans and enjoy them. And if they get disrupted, still know that God's in control. And hey, instead of getting all frustrated, which I do a lot of times. I know other people do when our plans don't work out. And then having a fit and, and being, not knowing how it's going to work out and all of that, uh, we, we miss that trust and we miss a joy and, and what all God has for us to enjoy that day by being gloomy and, and uh, being suspicious or pessimist or uh, fatalist or whatever it might be. So Solomon tells us, hey, let me share with you what life is about and how what you need and he talks about wisdom in this and he says first of all he says natural talents and gifts are not enough in themselves to handle life look in verses 11 and 12 I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors and neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor to um, nor favor to men of ability For time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net. And birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. In other words, natural abilities, he's telling us. And diligent effort will not lead us into truly successful living. Not depending totally upon that all our carefully laid plans have at times fallen apart probably I know mine have all our hopes that we had for success at times has crumbled and that is often true in many areas and one area if you look at is athletics how often one is bumped from Fulfilling his goal and his wishes because of an injury. You remember Bo Jackson. He was one of the greatest athletes of our time. An all-pro NFL football player, I believe came from Auburn. 
and a Major League All-Star baseball player. He was, mar- he was a marvel to watch, enjoyed. He was powerful runner. But in 1991, he was at the height of his career and the prime of his powers. He was disciplined, determined, and focused. Despite his natural talents and hard work, on January the 13th, 1991, he was tackled from the side while running down the sidelines for the Oakland Raiders. Bo injured his hip and had to be helped from the field. Within a year, he was forced to undergo hip replacement surgery. And though he returned briefly to baseball, his career was essentially over. What about, you hear about, if we get to be the biggest and the strongest, then we will be the winners. Well, the Bible tells us different at that even. You remember a a big old guy in the Bible? Biggest one we know about, I guess, Goliath. He played for the Green Bay Packers. You remember that? No. (laughs) What happened to him? Well, a little boy with a sling, slingshot, took him on and killed him. Imagine that. Or what about the fastest guy in the Bible that we know of? I mean, he could run the 100 meter in uh, just, uh, you know what, flat. Joab's brother. But he chased a guy who was bigger than him and he ended up being run through by a spear. Wow. Wow. That ended his track career, didn't it? What about the handsomest fellow in the Bible? You know, if you've got looks, you can go places. Vogue magazine, you know, movies, all of this. All you got to do is look like a model. What does the Bible talk about? A person with looks. Well, Absalom, he had it all. Man, his father was king. It says that There wasn't a flaw in him from the bottom of his foot to the top of his head. Could you imagine? Not one flaw. He had the curliest thick hair. Girls just swooned over him, I'm sure. Guess what? He got his hair hung up in a tree and he died. One of the guys came by and stuck him with a spear, didn't he? Hmm. You see, they tell us the way to get ahead is to be stronger. Nothing wrong with working out and getting stronger. Especially if you're in competitive sports, you want to to do that. But you're not guaranteed success, are you? Be more competitive, but you're not guaranteed necessarily success. How about being more clever? They also let you know that your job must be your top priority. This is what our society, give it all you've got. Well, do your best as unto the Lord. That's what God wants, isn't it? And just because we give everything to our job, we may lose our family, we may lose everything else in doing so. It doesn't guarantee us success. Our culture has plenty of advice 
for succeeding in life. They tell us the way to get ahead is to be stronger, more competitive, and more clever. You see, what they want is they want your job to be put first, your family may be second, and your religion will forget about that. The illusion that the secular media constantly presses upon us is that we arrange life by our choices. Have you heard the commercials? You can be anything you want to be. Well, I want to tell you, I want to make millions and be a hero at playing golf. But I want to tell you, I'm never going to make it. Never going to make it. And it didn't matter how much I played golf in college and skipped classes. And, no, I'm just kidding. Played golf, you know. It didn't matter how much I practiced and, and it didn't matter how many hours I might have played and how many tournaments I played in it. It didn't seem like I got any better. Sometimes I feel like I got worse. You see... They tell you it's your life and your choices and you make your choices. Well, we do make our choices. But just because we want something doesn't mean that we'll succeed at it. And Solomon has something different to say. He says, time and chance happen to all. In other words, just when you think you have everything under control, disaster hits. And life as we know it falls apart. The word time can refer generally to the seasons of life. Martin Luther stated you should understand time here not to refer only to the end of life, but to every appointed time and outcome. The word can also be used more specifically to refer to an appointed time of divine judgment, like in Ezekiel Chapter 7, verse 7. But either way, the time will come when events overtake us, won't they? We just don't understand. We just did not plan for it. We had our whole life put together a certain way, and then boom, this comes and affects us. And before we know it, we'll get trapped in a, a bad situation. Maybe it's a bad situation at work or afflicted with a fatal disease or, or caught in a financial tsunami. And at the very end, the time will come for us to die and, and to go to the judgment, a time that God knows, but we don't even know. If time does not overtake us, he says, then chance will. And what does he mean by chance? Uh, the word chance does not mean something like fate. Instead, the word refers to occurrence, something that happens to us in life. And that something that the preacher seems to be referring to is something that probably is a disaster or something that bad that happens because verse 12 talks about an evil net and an evil time. The key word is found in verse 12, suddenly. We just don't know. He'll come upon us at any time. Man does not know his time. Man not, can, cannot tell uh, when 
you know, certain things suddenly will be brought to an end. Whether we lose our job or whether we lose our health or whether we, you know, lose someone dear to us or, or whether we have to move or, or lose our home or whatever it might be. The preacher speaks not only of death but also of activities here. And Solomon likes, likens man to a fish who are su- who's suddenly caught in a net and a bird or birds who are quickly caught in a snare. Now he's not talking about fatalism. It's recognizing the fact that God is ultimately in control. That's what he's wanting us to understand and realize. If you put your, all your eggs in a basket with success in Boy, if I just do this and carry out my plans and I've got my life all planned out and you don't include God, then you're in for a big awakening. And so this is what he's letting us know. It's recognizing the fact that God is ultimately in control and that man's place is in submission really to him. And we should realize that. It's wonderful to plan. Nothing wrong with planning. He's not against that. But what we must guard against is loving our plan and our planning more than loving our God. You've seen people get caught up in that. Maybe you have. I have at times. Oh, boy, I'm going to do this. this, this, this." And you get caught up in it. And you've forgotten about God in all of it. And you get so involved in this and carrying it out and doing all the activities that you spend less and less time with God. One thing certain about a plan. It won't work exactly like you expected it to many times. Do right and be wise, but be ready to be flexible, he's saying. That's what he's saying. He's saying understand that God's in control. So be ready to be flexible. Life is unpredictable. Its misfortunes are inevitable and often inescapable. In His mercy, God tells us to expect the unexpected. When hardships come, when, even when it, it comes very suddenly, we should not be surprised because we realize, this is what He's saying, we, we should realize that is reality, that's life. But God is in control. We've got to understand that. And, and I think that He pushes this Uh, especially in the latter chapters of the book. So uh, when, when life is good, even, should we think that our own natural abilities will spare us from having hard times if we just remain good and do certain things? No. We're going to experience hard times. No matter how gifted or well prepared or how many advantages we have in life, we too may suffer an evil one day. We will, but that's part of growing. So the second thing he tells us in verses 13 through 18 is wise counsel, though often overlooked. People can give us wise counsel. God can give us wise counsel through people or through his word. We can give wise counsel. We can read about wise counsel. Often overlooked. Often misunderstood, maybe rarely obeyed, and can be forgotten. 
is still of the utmost importance in our life and work. In other words, wise counsel is what we should seek. He says, also this, I came to see his wisdom under sun and it impressed me. There was a small city with few men in it. A great king came to it, surrounded it, constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. How should we respond when evil days come? When these troubles come, when our plans are interrupted, all of this, how should we live with the uncertainty of knowing that something bad could happen at any time? Should we be ready to give up? Many do, don't they? Maybe all of us have felt like giving up. I have at times, at certain points in my life. If the battle is not won by the strong, then why prepare for it? If getting smart will not get us more money, then why educate ourselves? Why develop our minds? Since it all comes down to chance anyway, fatalism might appear to be the only honest option. Preacher says, no way. You may be thinking that way, but no way. Wait a minute. I have something else to offer you. And he tells us to live wisely. He does so by first giving us an example of someone who was wise. Now, there was no record of this event elsewhere in Scripture, but that doesn't make it any less real. Perhaps Solomon, the greatest king of his day, heard the story from a foreign delegation. And he's telling it. We just don't know. Some have confused it with 2 Samuel 20 verses 14 through 22 and say, well, there's a few mistakes he made. Probably made with recording it. But we know there's no mistakes he made. Others have treated it as as a parable. But most regard it as a true account of a historical event. They believe it was something the preacher had seen for himself, not something that he just invented. And the story was about a wise man who had saved his entire city. We're not told how he did it. We're only told that wisdom wins out in the end. And that's good to know. But a few things that we need to notice, even though wisdom wins out in the end, is first of all, the poor man who used his wisdom to save the city, he was what? Forgotten. Unfair, isn't it? Not just. Unjust. Yes, but that's life, isn't it? Unfortunately. How many of you have used, have offered wisdom and and have helped people out and people just went on their own way? Never thanking you or whatever. Not that you wanted it, but you offered it. And maybe somebody else, or they even got the success, or they even got the, uh, the uh, you know, all the acclimates themselves. 
He says, no one remember that poor man. People are fickle and fame fleeting. Second thing is, the wisdom of poor man was despised. And his words not heeded. Not despised in the sense when, when they needed it and there was a, a, a panic about. That's when they really take in anybody's advice. And they found out his advice was the best advice. But on a daily basis, it seemed like they didn't listen to the man. He had a lot of wisdom and they just did not heed it. Often when in desperation, they'll heed the words of, what, of the wise. Like with this poor man, saving the city. But most of the time, the wisdom for life and living is rejected. And especially rejected by the world, isn't it? What do they do with Christians today when we offer alternatives? And when we offer things about finances and, and how to uh, pull this country out of its debt. Or, or uh, how to not go to war. Or how to... Uh, uh, win the war or how to uh, save lives and, or how to make life more important by looking at what we're doing with babies and, and uh, you know, uh, trying to control life and, and take control of life and be God towards life and say when a life should end and when a life should live. When we offer advice, and we offer advice from God's Word, what does the world do? The world rejects it. It's not heeded. They live in darkness. And they don't see the long-term effects or the profit from living a godly life. And third, it's, it, it, it's better to allow the insights from Scripture to be heard in your inner self, quietly before God. Before randomly just running off at the mouth. How many times have you seen this? Maybe it's happened with you. I know it's happened with me. Where you spout out things and you really haven't really thought about it. You haven't spent time with God. You just react. The wise, quiet words of God gives you the more effectiveness. Or gives you more effectiveness in solving problems. And worldly rhetoric... Or propaganda, better than the ideas of a, pro, uh, a prominent opinion maker who says things and who's loud about it. Have you ever noticed news on TV, how one tries to get louder than the other one? Have you ever noticed a calm believer on TV and how he just calmly works through it and, and he doesn't try to outspeak the other person? Verse 17 describes this loud person. And it's, you know, the word there is used for leader there. And, or can be used for leader. He says, we, you know, we know from the word of God that the loud mouth does not make the wisest voice. Not always. Most of the time, not. This particular man got his way by being loud shouting everyone else down he was surrounded by fools and they will surround themselves by fools people that will agree with them and who act like them how easy for a proud or angry man to to wreck a marriage or divide even a church 
or destroy a business. There is a better way to lead. A wise man does not feel he needs to do a lot of shouting. He knows that it's not the loud word that moves people's hearts and changes the world for good, but the wise word. Or it's got to be the Holy Spirit that changes the heart, isn't it? This he lets the wisdom of what he says speak for itself and lets God do the changing. The preacher says the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. This is especially true in times of conflict. Solomon is not denying that there is a time for war. Nor is he denying the usefulness of weapons when it's time to fight. But he is saying that wisdom is superior. Wisdom from God is superior to any weaponry. We can apply this principle to the home where a few quiet words are usually more honoring and and almost always more effective, especially in the long run, than a lot of shouting. I don't know what went on last night where I was living, but um, started to turn off the lights. I kept on hearing out back, Get out of here! I want you around here! And boy, it just kept on, kept on. And before that, I'd heard all these, I guess, fireworks going off, and I hope it wasn't gunshots. Boy, a lot of them if it was. But, uh, you know, all this. And then, get out of here. Don't come back. And all this kind of stuff. And, and it sounded like it was across a little pond behind us. And I thought, my goodness, what's going on? Because I want to tell you, I wanted to turn out the lights because when I was in Dallas and, and, and we lived in um, area like that and, and we lived in, uh, you know, uh, uh, apartments, I was living under the, uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the, not the owner, but the one that ran the apartments, the manager. And so we lived underneath them. And I was up studying one night about 2 o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden I heard from a distance, pow, 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 pow. I thought somebody was shooting firecrackers. And then next time it got closer, pow, 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 pow. And then all of a sudden it sounded like it was out in our court. Because the apartments went around in a square like that. Two story. And you know I just turned off the lights. Went up front to look. And I didn't see anything so I came back. And then I heard it off of a distance. In the same complex somewhere else. I said my goodness. So the next morning there were policemen there. And somebody had gotten mad. Because they didn't rent to them. And so they came. And they were shooting up the windows of the apartments across the way before they got to us. And then they came and they knew where the manager lived there. Thank goodness uh, they didn't think that he lived down there where I was living. And and they shot up in, uh, but unfortunately they shot up in the window of his apartment. Thank goodness, you know, it didn't hit him or anybody else. And then they went over to the assistant's apartment and they shot up her apartment but it wasn't her apartment any longer she had moved out of that and a young couple just moved in and they moved out shortly (laughs) so we see here you don't get a lot done by that kind of action do you we can also apply this principle to the church where honest conversation and genuine communication usually help avoid a major conflict, doesn't it? 
then we can apply it to government and nations. At work. There is a time for war, as the preacher told us in chapter 3, verse 8. But even the weapons of war are used best by someone who listens to wise counsel. Wisdom is always better. We need to remember, fleshly leaders will always outshout wise counsels, counselors. Fools prefer the former. The loud will shout loudly, trying to convince those around that their advice is the best. And that they're the strongest. The so-called leaders in the flesh are eager to give an answer from their own knowledge. They always have the right answer, they think. But this is opposed to God's wisdom so often. So the warning is, one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom is power. To restate an old proverb, but one sinner who is in his folly and self-willed stubbornness refuses to accept wisdom thereby destroys much good and many a kingdom or work of God so Solomon is telling us plan do your thing but don't become crippled when your plans fall through Use wisdom in all of this and understand that God is there to help you, to teach you, and to direct you through that. And with all that you do, plan with godly wisdom. And rejoice in the day because God has made it. Everything may not go our way, but rejoice in it. Let's bow our heads in prayer.